We are in the amazing gospel of Mark, and we are in chapter 8. We have reached a midpoint, and it's a fascinating place in the scriptures. This is the high point of the entire gospel. Everything prior to Mark chapter 8, verse 27, everything prior was leading up to what Jesus was now going to be communicating to his disciples. This is the moment when his disciples who had been following him, his disciples who had been living for him, truly believed. They came to that divine epiphany, as I say so often. But there's still some confusion. They affirm the person of Jesus, but they're having difficulty with the plan of Jesus. And we're living in a day and age where everybody's ready to affirm the plan or the, the, the person of Jesus. But as far as what is involved in, in the plan has tendency to cut into our lives, cut into our creature comforts, cut into our, our preconceived notions as to what religion is supposed to do for us rather than what we are supposed to do for for God wants this religion, if you will, has been divinely set aflame in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. At that point, it's no longer about religion. It's about a personal relationship. And what has that personal relationship done in the lives of believers? We can be friends all around here, and I know some of you a lot better than I know others. I always use this as an example, but I, I, I can use Marjan and... Uh, don't even need to talk about my wife and daughters, but I can use Marjan, and, and I can use uh, my sister Nancy. And these are two ladies that seem to almost be able to read my mind. We have more than just a relationship. We have a friendship. We have a, a co-laboring mentality. I've got, I've got Rob. I've got the guys here. When you have somewhat of just a relationship no offense, Pat, John, but you don't know if this is a new guitar or if I've had it for 30 years. <laughs> it's a guitar. But once you ha come to know the Lord, it's no longer about having information about who he is and utilizing that information like some kind of, of, of chicken soup for the soul that will help you and me navigate this life in a more spiritual way but it's about knowing our Lord and Savior in such a way that we want to do a good job for our sisters. We want to we bless the people that, that God has brought into our life. We want our, our children, our wives, to, to, to know that it's more than just a, a superficial understanding of what a dad and, and a child is, a, a husband and a wife relationship. It's, it's a relationship that's, that's, that's fueling and developing and nurturing in the heart and through the fruit of that insight that comes forth out of agape love, there's a display of the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And that is the rub that they are encountering at this time. They understood the coming Messiah. They understood the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. The very beginning of the Old Testament to the very beginning to the very end. But what we have here, we've got from a Jewish perspective promises of salvation 
expansion of the land, the kingdom blessing, prosperity, Israel being the most prominent, powerful nation on the face of the earth, the Messiah reigning, all joy, all patience, all blessing. And that's what they were waiting for. That's what they were anticipating. One of the dangers when we have a preconceived notion as to how to get from point A to point B and not being cognizant of the activities and the necessities that take place in between point A and point B, we can miss out on God's plan for our lives. It would be nice if we could all just say, Jesus, come into my heart, you know, forgive me of all my sins, and, and, and make my wildest dreams come true. It's not about that. It's about Jesus coming to my heart, forgive me of all my sins, and then use me, Lord, humbly speaking, as a vessel to carry out your, your, your agenda, Father. Because the reason that it's the fact that I no longer live but Christ living in me now is because now I am that vessel by the divine work of the Holy Spirit and the light of a born-again Christian that recognizes that God's ways are more important. God's ways are what it's about because as we pray, as we sing, as we talk, we see everything through the lens of our Lord. And that brings us about to where we can exercise the fruits of the Spirit. We're seeing things through God's eyes. We're patient, we're kind, we're loving. We don't keep track of wrongs. We're not jealous, we're not envious because our perspective is established. It is established, and I don't like to use this word, but I were, I will proportionately in regards to our, our divine definition of God. And where the church fails, where we fail at times, is when we have polluted that definition of who the Bible tells us God is with our own self-serving desires. And those self-serving desires can get in the way, and we will see how that happens in this amazing area of Scripture Mark 8, chapter 27, Mark 8, verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the town of Caesarea Philippi. It's up on the northern area now. We've got the Sea of Galilee. They're up north, but they're back into Jewish territory. And on the road, as they were traveling, Jesus asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? What, what a question. Could you imagine? They've seen all of these miracles. They've seen thousands and thousands of people fed. They've seen demoniacs healed. They've seen lepers cleansed. They've seen people who had, had, had lost their vision, their sight restored. They'd seen all kinds of miracles. They'd walked with Jesus Christ. They'd seen his love displayed. And the question comes forth now, hey, who do people, who do the people say I am? And so they answer, well, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah and Matthew, it says that he includes Jeremiah there, and others are one of the prophets. Now, this is interesting. They've not said what they need to say yet. They're still ready to call him a great man. They're still ready to call him the son of God. They're still ready to call him a prophet. But when you, I, we change our definition of, of a textbook description of who a, a Messiah or who a, a religious leader might be, 
and allow the Holy Spirit to bring definition into that, it will change our lives. It will change our conduct. It will change our perspective in every facet. And our religion then moves from textbook to relationship because the Holy Spirit's there to speak with us. People thought Jesus was John the Baptist. (laughs) They didn't know much about him. Seeing John the Baptist, uh, the people were hoping for a political Messiah. They were hoping that he's going to be the one that's going to bring a repentance that will ultimately bring about a strength that will manifest itself in overthrowing, you know, the oppressing uh, Roman government, bring about a new day for Israel. That was where it always went. Some of the others, Elijah. Well, the Bible says, as you will study that area, that Elijah will return before the Messiah. They're looking for the Messiah. Is he Elijah? They're ready to call him a prophet, that one, that forerunner like John the Baptist, but they're still not yet able to recognize him as the one that they've been waiting for. It's interesting, he talks about Jeremiah, I believe in Matthew. There's a, from, from the Maccabees, uh, one of the apocryphal books, uh, there's a reference to Jeremiah, and the view was that before, before Babylon came in and, and took over the southern kingdom, the northern ten had already gone. They were in captivity, they were gone. For all intents and purposes, gone. But the southern kingdom before they went into captivity into Babylon, it is said in this, in this kind of tradition that Jeremiah went into the temple and he grabbed the, the Ark of the Covenant and he, he, he grabbed the area where the sacrifices were taking place and he took those and he hid them up on a mountain And he said that I will not reveal where these things are until Messiah comes. They're looking at all of this evidence pre-Messiah, and they're okay to attribute, to attach that definition to Jesus, but they're not yet ready, drumroll please to every one of us in this room, ready to call him Lord, ready to call him the Anointed One, the Messiah the one that the Bible speaks of that God will send. Part of their problem is their inability to recognize that it's not going to be totally a situation where all of their, <laughs> where all of their wildest dreams come true. Once you've got Jesus in your life, and I've said this silly joke, and I used to always look at my pastor many years and wonder, why does he tell the same joke over and over again? Well, I'm going to tell the same joke over and over again. But it's like the country and western song, as they say. What do you get when you run a country, when you play a country song backwards on, the, on your stereo? You get your wife back, your truck back, your dog back, all of these things. Well, people think when they come to know Jesus, they're going to get all of their issues taken care of and fixed and life will be good. That is not right. Because when somebody accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered with the Holy Spirit to be able to navigate this life, it's, it's one of the many reasons is you, I, we are going against the flow of society at this point. 
We're not going to be in a place where people are going to come up and say, hey, I really like hanging out with you because I was, you know, last night at a bar trying to pick up this person and, uh, and I'd had a few too many, so I decided I needed to go home and, and, and maybe just uh, unwind a little bit with some drug of choice. And, but but I, I really would, but they can't say stuff like that to you because they know that their words will hit them right in the face in regards to the holiness, the righteousness, the crucified life in Christ that we're going to talk about. All of these truths were a reality that Jesus had, and they were contrary to the social mindset, and we are still dealing with those challenges in our life. Every one of us wants to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and I'll be the first to raise my hand at this. Maybe some of you parents have done this. But Patty and I pray, Lord God, let our children, let our grandchildren have, are you ready? Charmed lives. Let them go through this life unscathed. Let them live a long life, seeing their kids grow up well, seeing the families intact, having, having strong marriages, having a, a great relationship with you, and then at, at some ripe old age, they die in their sleep and go home to be with you. We all want that for our children, but that ain't what happens in this world most of the time. What happens in this world most of this time requires a personal relationship with the creators of the heaven and the creator of the heavens and the earth, having therefore the ability, the power, the, the fortification to be able to see this world for what it is. And in the world, you will have tribulations, but then still to be able to be of good cheer, knowing that he's overcome the world. So he said to them, well, who do you say that I am? I know who the world thinks that I am. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, and he said to him, You're the Christ. And then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Now, why would he say that? Some thought that he was Elijah. Some thought that he was John the Baptist. Some thought that he was Jeremiah. But why would he say that, that they were to keep this to themselves? It's something that we have talked about in the past. If your relationship with Jesus stops at a miracle, you might not know him. See, because it's a whole package there. The miracles are blessings. The miracles are opportunities for us to develop a greater faith, a greater trust. Every miracle he did was to point to him as the Messiah. Drum roll, please. Not the miracle man. You need a miracle? You know, we need a miracle. Yeah, we take a miracle, as Billy Crystal said in the movie. No, the miracle is then the reality of who Jesus Christ is when you see his power, recognizing that that power has been afforded, has been directed then into your heart for whose glory? Yours? No, 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 for his glory. We live this life now for his glory. That's our marching order. That's our calling. And they were looking for, for a, a different kind of Jesus, the Messiah that they wanted. And he did not fit the Messiah that they wanted. He did not fit the, the great rescuer that they wanted. 
He wasn't a military leader. He wasn't a conqueror. He wasn't a destroyer of armies. He didn't look like a king. He didn't act like a king. In fact, he had a very meager life. You know, the birds of the air have their nests and the fox have their holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It wasn't about anything, any accoutrement, any, any, any great, great benefit that he could acquire here in this area that's going to ultimately be destroyed by flash, like flash paper someday. This world is fading, but the eternal focus is where we build our treasures, where we put up our treasures, and how are we able to do that? By recognizing where those treasures will be safe. They will be safe in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt. It's not about a Porsche in the parking lot. I like Porsches, I never have one, but it's not about Porsches. It's not about a great display of guitars. It's not about anything that this world would deem to be, huh, check it out. It's about Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And I think it's interesting because it takes it another step further. In John chapter three, you all know about this area. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. They were willing to call him a teacher. They were really to call him a forerunner, willing to call him a prophet. But see, if you call him Lord, if you call him Savior, the marching orders change drastically. Jesus continued questioning him, but who do you say that I am? And most of the important questions that the people were asked then, guys, is the most important question that we will be asked ever in our life. I mean, I look at my little sister over there, you know, what university did you want to go to? What job are you going to take? Where are you going to take the gifts and the talents that God's given you and now apply your intellectual, scholastic, insightful energies? And where will it be? What will we do with this life? It all comes under the umbrella of who Jesus Christ is. Who do you say that I am? Who do we say that he is? Is he some guy that, that some televangelist talks about a lot on on, you know, 10 o'clock at night? Is he some great, great, you know, philosopher that had great insights? And if you follow Jesus or maybe Kierkegaard or maybe you can even go to another level and, 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 and seek out some kind of philosopher that has a thought process and, and, a, and, a, and a view that parallels with yours. But who is it? Who is it? He's the Christ. He is the anointed one. And interestingly enough, the right answer to that question, real simple. The right answer means what? Heaven. I'm in heaven. And the wrong answer means hell. Be nice if there was some medium place. Look, I'm really not really that religious. I appreciate these people that are in church on Sunday. I mean, <laughs> People that raise their hands while they're worshiping. That's fine. Do I have to go to heaven and like be around all these? I just want come some kind of mediocre place. No, there is only one name 
given to man by which he must be saved. Why? Because the one that created everything is the one that gets to make the rules. And God makes the rules. And God's standards are such that his, he looks on each one of us, and God forbid, he has, he has the ability to know where my thoughts might go, my attitude might take me at times. Because this guy needs Jesus. On his own, he could never cut it. He could do what it, he, he needs, he needs my son. And God sent his only begotten son, whosoever would believe. And that's more than I believe I'll have another slice of pizza. Whoever would believe in him, cling to him, rely on him, base every decision in their life, base every facet of their life on who Jesus is, will not perish but have everlasting life. But it's a belief. It's a belief that changes one's life so much so that you say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And if God says, hey, you're going to be suffering for the next number of years, it would be unusual if you didn't say, bummer. But you'd say, nevertheless, God, not my will, but thy will be done. Because your ways are perfect. Your ways are higher. He is Lord. Who do men say that I am? And this Christian is interesting, interesting, interesting. In the book of Mark, this is the first, drum roll please, these guys who have been traveling with him when he got his, his, his band of merry men, when he chose the, the, the disciples, this is the first time, the first time the confession that you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And I think that's, that's, Significant, because sometimes we will find that, that we're ready to accept Jesus and we'll go through this life without ever saying he's the Christ. Always oh, Jesus. He, he's my Lord. He's my, but is he Christ to you? Is he the anointed one? Is he the one that is going to be the last word in regards to one's eternal destiny? Is he the one that's going to take your sins, my sins, our sins, and cast them as far as the east is from the west and make us new creations? That reality has to be there. I grew up in the Bible Belt. I'm talking to my brother over here in, in Oklahoma. Bible Belt, Oklahoma. It's okay to <laughs> Bible Belt. Everybody knew who Jesus was. But you could have looked at my life. Well, I'm glad you can't. But if you could, I'm still glad you can't. But he was not my, my Christ. He was not the Christ. He was God. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. You know, yay, God. Get me out of this jam, Lord. Please don't let me get pulled over right now, Lord. Please don't let me get pulled over right now. Totally a worldly perspective in exploiting who God is. And until that divine epiphany, that moment in time hits you, me, and we can say, you are the Christ. Through that truth, through that reality, it changes everything. And one of the sad places that we are in this day and age of what we would call a social gospel is the church is full of people that are ready to say that they're religious, ready to call in, you know, Jesus, the great prophet, the great wise one. But they're not ready to call him the Christ. It's another sermon right there. But there will be many, there will be many that have done all kinds of great acts because that's what you do when you're religious. You help little old ladies across the street. You're polite to people. You, know, you give your money to, to the poor. You go down to the food bank. 
and there will be many that will Lord, didn't we go to the food bank? Didn't we help little old ladies across the street? Didn't we always pray at our meals? Didn't we always do these great things that religious people are supposed to do? Depart from me, man. I never knew you. I never knew you. Sorry for the inflection of my voice. I don't think Jesus would sound like a punk like I'm prone to sound at times. Depart from me. I think there'd be more sadness in it. I never knew you. I wanted to know you. I wanted to have a relationship. I never knew you. You were too caught up in your definition of what religion was instead of reading the word, allowing the Holy Spirit to be your teacher and to bring you into this relationship where you could actually let me live through you. I never knew you, man. Never knew you. First time after all of this that Jesus is confessed as the Christ by the disciples. The first time was in the beginning of of the book of, of Mark where he makes reference in as Jesus being the Christ. But it is a definition of who he is before the, the book begins. Interestingly enough, you're going, well, Biggs, the demons knew who he was. All of, the, all of those, the demons, they knew who he was. Yeah, they did. The demons believe and they tremble. But with our giftings, sometimes bad and detrimental in our great intellectual reasoning, we find ourselves in a place where we say, He's Lord, but I got other plans. I got to get on with my life. The Hebrew equivalent for anointed, Christos, is not a name. Jesus is his name. Lord is his ultimately title, his ultimate title. Christ, the word for anointed, it defines his work. It defines the promises that God has made through him and the one that will carry those promises out, the anointed one of God. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after these three days rise again. And he spoke this openly. I love it. Because, because they're thinking, you know, Jesus, when are you going to come, come along and, and, and take out? We've, we've been kind of going through this in, in, in Genesis on Wednesday nights. When are you going to come and, and set up your kingdom? When are you going to put these Roman soldiers in the right place? When are you going to put your foot on their neck? When are you going to take things over? When are you going to finally come back? Because, and, and interestingly enough, the mentality behind that would be, go, they'd be standing behind Jesus going, yeah, nanner, nanner, nanner. See what you got now, instead of having a heart for lost people that would find themselves cast aside because they never knew the Lord. It was all about what they could get It was still caught up in their definitions as to who God was through the Old Testament. One of the problems that they had that was so horrific is that God entrusted them with his word. And what did the Jews do? They hoarded it. They didn't share it with with the world. They came up with all of these rules and regulations that established that they were more holy than anybody and they would not share what God had given them, the words of life with a lost and dying world. Instead, they they became the most prejudiced people on the planet. We talked about this Wednesday night. 
If a woman was in the, the, the throes of childbirth and a Jew walked by, if a Gentile was in the throes of childbirth and a Jew walked by, don't help her. <laughs> Last thing you want to do is bring another Gentile into the world. Well, what exactly are the Gentiles good for then? Oh, well, they're good for fueling the fires of hell. There was a, it, was, it was horrific, a horrific loss. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders of the day, they were the ones that pushed this, that fueled this, that fueled this. And so they've come to this great conclusion, and Peter says to him, well... You're the Christ. Aha, my eyes have been opened. I see. I understand. And once your eyes, Christian, drumroll, hear me. Once your eyes are opened, then you can start to understand. We've got to be careful with the way we share the gospel at times. Because a lot of times, you know, did you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Well, I'll take two of those. But you're going to have to suffer and die too. What? I don't like that part. We won't tell you that part. We'll get you into church, and we'll eventually ease you into that. This is a life that's defined as a crucified life in Christ. Nobody likes that. There's probably people in here going, Biggs, you're bumming me out. Don't tell me that. I got plans. I remember when 9-11 happened, it just amazed me. Everyone's saying, God bless you praying for you and it was a horrible atrocity please don't don't misunderstand my point here when 9-11 happened and it was not two months before people are going yeah this is terrible the twin towers went down our country was attacked it's just horrible we're, we're going to go skiing at christmas time right we're still going to be able to, to go on our vacation right right all of these issues that come back that take precedent over where our life is supposed to be in regards to the epiphany, the divine awakening, the born again experience that we have as Christians. We have a purpose here. It makes the love that we have for each other the most pure love there could be, the most wholesome love there could be. We're trying to be our brother and sister's helper not hindrance, because we know that we need helpers. We know that God was our ultimate helper and then brought us into this family. They weren't ready to hear that. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes the religious leaders, the religious circles out there, and be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. And he spoke this word openly. Previously, he didn't want them to go tell everybody because he didn't want to be known as the miracle worker. Go to Jesus. He can do a miracle for you. Oh, Jesus, he just does miracles. Jesus, he's the one that can, you know, he, he can feed us. He can, he can turn water into wine. It's all about him doing miracles. Now, those miracles were for the miracle receiver to recognize the holiness and the power of the man that they were listening to when he spoke the words of God. That was, that was, for, that was for evidence that God had his hand on him. Russell says in his commentary, a suffering Messiah, unthinkable 
The Messiah was supposed to be a symbol of strength, not weakness. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) But when he had turned around and looked at his disciple, he rebuked Peter. Talk about going from hero to goat like that. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter. You've got this great insight. And now we find that, no, we've got a reality of who he is. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter. The Holy Spirit gave you the insight to know who God is and for you to respond according to who he is. And Jesus rebuked Peter. And this is a tough word. It says, get behind me, Satan. For you're not mindful, you're not thinking, you're not cognizant, you are not focusing on the things of God. Are we okay back there? But you're focusing on the things of man. We're here to focus on the things of God. We're not here to focus on the things of man. This life that we lead now in the the flesh, we live for the glory of Jesus Christ who called us by his own excellence. Very simple, very simple. And the only reason and way that it gets complicated is when we allow our flesh and, and, our, and our carnal desires and, and, our, and, our, and our worldly hopes and dreams to come in and interfere with the life that the Lord has for us that allows us to be defined as his disciples, as his ambassadors, as salt, and as light. And he makes it clear. He tells us, hey, guys, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God and be able to do anything. I've been there, done that. I tried to do that. I was no fun to party with, (laughs) and I was no fun to go to church with. There's only one path that the Lord would have us to be on. Jesus took him aside and straightened him right out. Get out of my sight, Satan. These are powerful words. Get out of my sight. One commentator said, it's a bad idea for followers to play God. When you put yourself in the place of God, you end up putting yourself in the place of Satan. Satan thought he had a better idea than Jesus. Satan thought he had a better plan than God. He says to him, you're not setting your mind on God's interest. You're setting your mind on man's interest, Peter. You're thinking about overthrowing Rome. You're thinking about the glory days of King David. You're thinking about all the power that you could now be able to wield when we once again have taken over the world. They were looking for glory. And when he had called the people to himself, With his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, in light of what Peter has just said, in light of the direction that Peter was going, whoever desires to come after me, Peter and anybody else who's thinking along those lines, whether you were out in the middle of a beautiful field somewhere around the Sea of Galilee, or whether you're sitting in burgundy chairs in a little church in beautiful Prompt, Nevada. The question is, the question is, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The question is, who are you following? Who, who is Jesus to you? 
It was bad enough for the disciples to hear that Jesus would be suffered and, and rejected on the cross. <laughs> Here comes the but. <gasps> but you will too. <laughs> I, I can understand Jesus suffering, being, but, but, you, but you too? Yeah, let him deny himself, take, take up his cross, and follow me. Everybody knew what Jesus meant when he said this. And I pray that everybody in this room knows that. I pray that there's not one person that's going, yeah, but that was a long time ago. Things have changed. Yeah, but we have other ways of doing things, and we're much more philosophically enlightened and intellectually astute. Now, it's very simple. There's one name given to man. One commentator said, in these 20 centuries after Jesus, we sanitized and ritualized the cross. How would we receive it if Jesus said, walk down death row daily and follow me? Take up your cross wasn't a journey. It was a one-way trip. A man walking down a road with his cross knew he would never see his family members again, knew he would never, he, he would never find himself in a situation where he would be experiencing the things that he had previously known. He has set it all aside. Wiersbe said in his commentary, denying self is not the same as self-control. We practice, excuse me, it's not the same as self-denial. We practice self-denial when for a good purpose we occasionally give up things or activities. But we deny self when we surrender ourselves to Christ and, determ and, and determine to obey His will over ours. Denying self means to live as an other-centered person instead of a self-centered person. That we would understand what it means to pick up our cross and, and follow Jesus. That's a concept, an insight, and understanding, I believe, that is lost in this day and age. I won't say it's lost in this church because I think you guys are the greatest people on the planet. You guys all understand this. You could all be teaching this. But there's a mentality today that if you accept Jesus, you're gonna have a bigger car if you accept Jesus, you're going to be healthy. You're never going to be sick again. If you accept Jesus, that you're going to be able to, to, to have all of the great material blessings of this life. And that's not what it's about because this world is not our home. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. And that we would understand that our perspective needs to be maintained and governed by the reality that we pick up our cross. We get up in the morning. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Speak to me, Lord God. I want to bless you today. And how do I do that? I'm going to pick up my cross and follow you because it's no longer me living, but you living in me. Everything else is secondary. Amen. Amen.